Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Dinosaur SCPs. Dinosaur fossils have been found by humans for millennia with early civilizations believing them to be the bones of various great creatures, such as dragons or giants. Dinosaurs have fascinated us for hundreds of years, however, and in many ways they exist as sort of a real-world anomaly compared to modern civilization. These are creatures that lived millions upon millions of years ago, in a world that we would hardly recognize, and will likely never see one in the flesh. Instead, most people's exposure to dinosaurs comes from fictional works, films such as Jurassic Park and King Kong, often featuring man being introduced to dinosaurs with disastrous results. In this video, we're going to be looking at a handful of SCPs related to dinosaurs, and while they're all certainly odd, as SCPs always are, the dinosaurs themselves are not really the odd parts about them. Let's start with perhaps the most classic dinosaur SCP on the wiki, SCP-250. 250 is the animate fossil skeleton of an Allosaurus, consisting of 153 disarticulated bones and 14 plaster and fiberglass replacements, held together and animated by an unknown force. Study of this force is hindered by the dinosaur's aggressive behavior, which is well within the theoretical norms for an Allosaurus. It also emulates what are presumed to have been the standard daily activities of a living Allosaurus, including wandering its enclosure by day, entering a dormant state at night, and attempting to kill and devour anything which it perceives as suitable prey, including humans. Its lack of organs does not seem to affect its behavior in any way, except that anything it consumes will inevitably fall out of the gaps in its skull, neck, and ribcage, at which point it ignores them. It was first excavated as an 80% complete skeleton, showing no anomalous traits, at which point it was transferred to a museum, assembled, and mounted. Years later, however, it became animate one night, seizing and killing an intruder to the museum. Although damage to the intruder's remains was so extensive as to render forensic identification impractical, they were conclusively shown to not match a paleontologist whose office in the museum was vandalized that night and who has not been seen since. Foundation personnel embedded within the museum reported the incident and it was taken into custody. Nothing particularly outrageous going on here, but as I said, a classic and a good jumping off point into other SCPs. Let's look at another more recent SCP based around a fossilized dinosaur, SCP-3637. 3637 is a fossilized Mayasaura skeleton excavated in Montana during a paleontological dig. 
Upon initial excavation, a loud roar was heard by the paleontology team, with no apparent source. The dinosaur will undergo what's called a 36-37 Rama event every time a thunderstorm forms or passes directly over it, during which wind speeds will increase to around 140 kilometers per hour. A loud roar will be heard, and salt crystals within a 119 meter radius of the dinosaur will be drawn towards it and cover it completely. A lightning bolt will then strike it directly, although this won't damage it, and the salt crystals will coalesce into the form of an adult Myasaurus skeleton. This skeleton will then extricate itself from the original and walk away, at which point wind speeds will return to normal. The new salt skeleton tends to wander aimlessly, occasionally vocalizing and digging into the ground with its forelegs. It will continue this until rain degrades it to a point where it is incapable of locomotion, vocalizing loudly and digging more rapidly and frantically as it degrades. Rain will continue to fall in its vicinity until it dissolves completely. Only one of these salt skeletons can exist at a time, and a 3637 Rama event will not occur again until the current one has dissolved. These salt versions do not appear to be completely new instances, however, as they are capable of remembering previously dug areas as well as specific foundation personnel, leading to theories that explain this phenomenon as them being either the same entity appearing repeatedly or a group of entities sharing a collective memory. At one point, however, an incident occurred when a Foundation paleontology team excavated a nearly complete Myasaura nest, including several dozen fossilized eggs, approximately 11 kilometers from the location of SCP-3637. A Rama event immediately occurred at 3637's location, despite the lack of rain and the resulting salt skeleton immediately vocalized loudly and proceeded to run directly towards the nest. It then absorbed salt from the ground, growing in size to a length of 15 meters, and easily scaled the barrier. On-site personnel attempted to neutralize it with high-pressure water hoses, but were unsuccessful. It then shed the excess salt, returning to its original size, and continued course to the nest. Personnel at the nest were advised to stand down while backup was scrambled. Upon reaching the nest, it lay down next to it and nuzzled the fossilized eggs, before collapsing into salt crystals. This SCP is somewhat of a reference to a passage from the Song of Solomon, from the Hebrew Bible, which reads, Many waters cannot quench love, nor can the floods drown it. This dinosaur, a Myasaura, died while away from her nest of children, likely from some sort of flood. Now she reanimates whenever it rains in a desperate attempt to be reunited with her children, eventually making it back to them after the Foundation uncovered the nest. A side note is that Myasaura literally translates to Good Mother Reptile. Let's move past the fossils and get to some living creatures, starting with a rather interesting one, SCP-6556, 
6556 is a channel on YouTube titled The Life of Rex, featuring videos that demonstrate a number of anomalous properties, namely the inclusion of living, anatomically correct dinosaurs filmed in what appears to be the Mesozoic time period. The channel currently has 37 videos uploaded, all of which revolve around a juvenile Tyrannosaurus Rex through the format of a video blog, and the videos are stated to have been uploaded approximately 66 million years ago. All of the videos have been uploaded with the title pattern of Dino Vlog, followed by a number corresponding to the order of the video's upload, and an exaggerated descriptor of the content of the video. Titles include My Life Story So Far, Watering Hole Life Hacks, Rap Battle Against a Rapping Raptor, We Are All Going to Die, Not Clickbait, Crazy Ichthyosaur Bite, and the final video titled Bright Light in Sky, UFO Attack? People that view these videos, or those who are made aware of the channel's existence, do not challenge the anachronistic nature of the anomaly, and believe the videos to be historically accurate representations of life in the Mesozoic era. Individuals with naturally high cognitohazard resistance, or who have undergone training, are not subject to this effect. We're provided a transcript of some footage taken from a Zoom meeting between a group of paleontologists. Dr. Eleanor Grant presents new evidence of toxic flora at the end of the Cretaceous period, relating to the theory that the meteor that killed the dinosaurs off may have been preceded by a smaller extinction process resulting from the development of toxic flora. For her evidence, she begins to play the video titled Dino Vlog 22. A flower almost murdered me. The video opens with the Tyrannosaurus, referred to as Ty-Rex, welcoming his viewers as the Jurassic Junkies. He states that this is another warm day out here in the woods, and the pterodactyls are scrawing, before cutting to a montage of him hiking through a wooded area, often focusing on various megaflora in the distance, or smaller animals skittering away in clearings. The footage returns to a shot of Tyrex standing in front of a small plant with what appears to be berries, and a mountain range can be seen in the distance. Dr. Grant pauses the video and zooms into the mountain range, saying that she's confident that these are the Rocky Mountains, placing Rex in roughly the area that would one day be Canada. She then zooms in on the plant behind Rex, stating that this is a clear example of a rudimentary angiosperm. She's cut off by another doctor, Smith, who says that this is ridiculous, and that that is clearly some kind of pteridosperm and nothing more, a completely harmless plant that existed for millions of years prior to the decline. Another paleontologist, Harris, chimes in to agree with Grant, as they don't really know what the early angiosperms look like. They move on to looking at the source of this evidence, as the title of the video is clearly clickbait, so they can't make any assumptions that Tyrex hadn't altered the plant somehow to give the presented reaction. Dr. Malcolm asks where these videos came from, 
and Grant explains that their recently discovered videos on YouTube uploaded towards the close of the Cretaceous period. They give unparalleled insight into Mesozoic societal norms through following the activities of this adolescent T-Rex. One doctor asks if this whole thing is just a ploy, but when Grant says that they need to approach the evidence with that possibility in mind, the doctor just says, for God's sake, and disconnects from the call. Another doctor chimes in to mention that they can't help but be startled by the fact that there is a Brachiosaurus present in the background of the footage, a species that they had thought lived 100 million years apart from the T-Rex. Grant says that that's a fantastic point, and pulls up another video titled Dinovlog27, I'm Sorry, which was uploaded right after the video titled Parasolophus Egg Omelette, Yum. In the video, Tyrex says that this isn't an easy video to make, and in his last video, he ate some Parasolophus eggs as a joke that he now has realized is wrong. These actions don't represent him and who he is as a dinosaur. They don't represent the impact he wants to have on the community. He's interrupted by a YouTube ad for a cryptocurrency trading website, which Grant promptly skips. Ty goes on to say that at the time he was unaware of the hurt this would cause, but now he is, so he apologizes for being unaware of the impact of his actions. He asks himself if he could go back now, would he do the same thing? And says that yes, he absolutely would because they were delicious, but he would do it knowing the full consequences of his actions. Grant pauses the video and says that Ty was also vlogging during his own time period as well, giving them a fantastic view into the world of not only the days of the T-Rex, but of the entire age of the dinosaurs. She's interrupted by a Miss Steven, who apparently couldn't figure out how to unmute herself until now. She asks if none of them see an issue with the fact that that's a real dinosaur speaking perfect modern English in what appears to be a Canadian accent. It's also on the internet, created 66 million years after dinosaurs went extinct, and asks if she's the only one here realizing this. The realization seems to hit the others, and Dr. Malcolm states that this is slightly embarrassing. Dr. Grant apologizes and says that she's made a terrible oversight. Miss Steven says it's alright, as they've all been under a lot of stress lately. Dr. Grant, however, says that she doesn't know how she didn't see it at first, as this completely revolutionizes everything, stating that Dinosaurs invented the internet. All of the other participants begin enthusiastically voicing their agreement to this. During a recess in the call, Foundation operatives were notified of the event and amnestics were administered at the homes of each attendee. Moving on to something a bit less silly while still providing insight into dinosaurs, SCP-1265 is an irregularly shaped area of land measuring 50 square kilometers within the Congo Basin in Africa. It is mostly contained within the Democratic Republic of the Congo, but approximately 15 square kilometers of it is contained within the neighboring Republic of the Congo. 
The majority of the area is uninhabited, save for some tribal villages, and contains flora typical of the Congo Basin. It's also inhabited, however, by several species known to be extinct, mostly dinosaurs, which appear spontaneously in groups of five, approximately once every 30 days. These animals are not necessarily found on the fossil record within Africa, but rather they appear to be selected based on the climate they lived in during the Mesozoic era. They are also not chosen based on one particular period of the Mesozoic, but the Cretaceous and Jurassic are the most well represented, with sparse population of Triassic period dinosaurs. In addition, several non-dinosaur reptilians, such as pterosaurs, are known to exist within the area, but are not commonly seen. They are incapable of leaving the area, as they dematerialize upon crossing the border and reappear in an area within 3 kilometers of the border, sedated. All of the creatures, even the carnivores, show no aggression or fear towards humans, unless provoked. So far, three Foundation personnel have been killed as a result of accidentally provoking one of them, rather than being actively hunted. Notably, there are few large carnivorous or herbivorous dinosaurs present, and a lack of dinosaur species whose fossils have been found in North America. Species such as T-Rex and Brachiosaurus have never been sighted in the area, but species such as Spinosaurus and Kentrosaurus are relatively common. Proportionally, there is a 5 to 1 ratio of non-American dinosaurs to American species. Finally, there are several creatures here that have not yet been discovered in the fossil record, which have been unusually aggressive, often charging at or attempting to attack researchers and other animals within the area. As of yet, Foundation researchers have been unable to determine the origin of most of these species, although the ones that have been identified usually lose all aggressive tendencies. It's believed that this phenomenon has existed for at least 200 years, according to historical records. A number of the creatures have been integrated into the folklore of several nearby tribes, and an interview was conducted in a village 5.5 kilometers away regarding sightings of the dinosaurs. The interviewee states that there are several of the creatures in the jungle, almost all of them in the water. They do not eat people though, except for one, which they describe as a big snake with legs that walks on all fours like a dog and has a big ridge on its back. The doctor asks about another creature, the name for which translates to one who blocks rivers, which the villager describes as being the largest of them all. It is big enough to block rivers and make the lakes rise. It can breathe underwater, but it is not a fish, and the earth shakes when it walks. They also mention another creature, one with planks in its back. The doctor produces illustrations of Camarasaurus and Kentrosaurus, asking if these are those two creatures, but the villager says yes and no. The creatures look like those two, but they have feathers despite not being capable of flying. 
The villager says that the area these creatures inhabit is hexed, as the creatures cannot leave without vanishing, nor can their eggs or meat. Years ago, some hunters tried to bring back the carcass of one, but when they reached the edge of the area, it simply vanished. When asked how many people have gone into the area over the past several years, the villager states that many have, in pursuit of the Camarasaurus. They don't want to kill it, just find it, but they never do because they don't go in the one area that the villagers warn them about for being dangerous, and that's where it is. We're then provided some notes written up by a Dr. Neil during one of his monthly trips through the area. He finds it fascinating that almost all instances of the creatures here, at least the dinosaurs, are feathered rather than scaled. He mentions how this blows the Yixian formation out of the water, which contained fossils of feathered dinosaurs. Another doctor here says that he's come across a few carcasses and has joked about wanting to see what they taste like, but Neil doesn't trust dinosaur meat. There are some trilobites in the water, however, and the natives come here sometimes to fish for them, saying they taste like prawns. The majority of the creatures here are dinosaurs, and all are suited to fit the climate of the Congo. Several of them are quasi-amphibious, such as the Kentrosaurus, which prefers to spend time in water. Observation has shown that it can hold its breath for up to an hour at a time, and so the ones here have large amounts of algae growing on their plates and spikes, occasionally giving the illusion that they are a living bush of some sort. They are usually quite docile, but they've seen their tail spikes taking down small trees. Neil also mentions a theory from the 1980s about how the dinosaur Troodon would have evolved into a more humanoid form had they not gone extinct, but there's absolutely no evidence for it. They have noticed the ones here to be rather intelligent, however, using rudimentary tools in a manner similar to chimpanzees in order to pick fruit from trees, and throw rocks at prey in order to injure it. They later find a family of baryonics, which are semi-aquatic and use their tails to shoot through the water after fish, chomping them up like a crocodile. They appear to be associating with the clan of Spinosaurus, which another doctor was very disappointed with. They're mostly quadrupedal, and have feather covering more like ducks than anything else. Their skeletal structure is completely unsuited for walking upright, and the less said about the so-called spine, the better. He states that they're scientifically fascinating, but as a lifelong dinosaur enthusiast, he must grieve for such a titan. They later find a four-winged flying dinosaur, with wings on both its arms and its legs. It's possibly a new species of Microraptor, native to Asia, and it's colored like a raven, with iridescent black feathers. Since it's an undiscovered species though, it's aggressive, and another doctor nearly got his finger bitten off while sedating it. They eventually find something that isn't feathered, a species of crocodile from the late Triassic period. It was drinking at the edge of a lake when suddenly a pack of Coelophysis jumped out and attacked it. Several of them went for its throat, 
cutting the jugular, and as soon as it bled out, they began stripping the corpse to the bone. He describes it as being like piranha tearing apart a cow in the Amazon. They collected the skeleton, finding that it had three shattered ankles, as if it had fallen and landed on its feet, which was probably why the Coelophysis were able to take it down so easily. At one point, they saw a magnificent fight between a Therizinosaurus and a Carnotaurus, with the Therizinosaurus practically decapitating the other. It then did something rather odd, cutting open the Carnotaurus corpse and dipping its claws in the blood, before scoring the trees around it with dinosaur blood. He believes this was done for the purpose of marking territory, which is fascinating but somewhat gruesome. The Therizinosaur then ate a bit of flesh from the Carnotaur and left the area. Dr. Moore had apparently never seen a Dilophosaurus outside of a certain movie, and was absolutely shocked when he saw one, as it wasn't a 2 meter long creature that acted like a dog, but rather a 6 meter long creature that looked like it could bite off his head. It ran away, but they managed to get some good pictures, and they also found some footprints from an unknown sauropod. In the last note, Neil states that he honestly has no idea what on earth they saw today. They found a new, undiscovered species that appeared to be ceratopsid, with a single horn and four short, stumpy legs. It had a long tail dragging along the ground, which is uncharacteristic of ceratopsids, and it didn't have a frill of any sort, but rather had some sort of floppy ears near the top of its head. It was also quite aggressive, and was engaged in combat with a Pachyrhinosaurus for unknown reasons. It ended up goring the poor thing, so they decided to head back to the site after that. I'm sure some of you were expecting some sort of big reveal or twist towards the end, but no, it's just a paleontologist's dream come true. Let's move on to something a bit more typical of SCP Fair, SCP-4041. 4041 is a phenomenon involving anomalous coordinated behavior among various species of birds. They begin as ordinary flocks, staying close to the ground and often generating large clouds of dust or dirt. High-speed cameras trained on these events have detected small groups of birds within the flock attaching their wingtips together to form rings before dispersing again in very short bursts of light. Observation of the events has not shown any inherent pattern in these lights. Excavation of the ground beneath these events will uncover various dinosaur fossils about 70% of the time. Rarely, this will occur even in locations previously shown to have been completely excavated for fossils. Fossils discovered after these events are always of theropod dinosaurs, a group that are generally bipedal and carnivorous, and are often Siluriosaurians, a subgroup which includes the T-Rex. The variety and quantity of the fossils increase with the number of birds in the flock. The fossils themselves appear to be non-anomalous, although they exhibit a high degree of preservation and detail, with feather imprints and skulls often intact. 
All of the fossils found match generally accepted taxonomic timelines, with 11 new species and 17 new subspecies having been tentatively accepted by Foundation paleontologists. A secondary component of the phenomenon are translucent, class 3 incorporeal entities, resembling theropod dinosaurs in various states of decomposition, all of them lacking feathers. The first suspected occurrence of 4041, as far as the Foundation is aware, dates back to 1861, when the first Archaeopteryx skeleton was unearthed in Germany. One of the men that had found it had written in his journal about the great and peculiar flocks of birds seen that day. In the aftermath, a British biologist named Thomas Huxley became an ardent proponent of the possibility of an evolutionary relationship between dinosaurs and birds. In 1944, collateral damage during the bombing of Munich in World War II destroyed rare Spinosaurus fossils that were suspected to be compromised by SCP-4041. In 1971, birds involved in an SCP-4041 event sustained severe, often fatal injuries during the event, including bite marks, dismemberment, blunt trauma, or complete crushing. In 1996, a 4041 event led to the civilian discovery of Sinosauropteryx, the first publicly documented feathered dinosaur. This was also the first instance of birds sustaining injuries outside of the duration of the event. In 2002, a Belgian paleontologist sustained similar bite injuries after publishing an article describing dinosaur-bird phylogeny. He is hospitalized and claims to have seen incorporeal dinosaur-like entities. After his recovery, he is amnesticized, and the cover story of a car accident is disseminated. In 2004, an event ended prematurely due to the death of all the birds present during the event. Cameras detect a translucent silhouette resembling a T-Rex. In 2006, translucent dinosaurs destroyed several museum displays and theropod fossils, and in 2009, translucent dinosaurs manifested within a Foundation Paleontology Conference, injuring 22 people before two MTFs arrived. After arriving on the scene, they fired on the dinosaurs, to no effect, instead resorting to charging at them and roaring to intimidate them. This proved somewhat successful, although more individuals are injured in the ensuing chaos. The other MTF arrived and managed to neutralize a raptor and contain a Dinochirus, using spectral weaponry. Afterwards, one of the MTF agents interviews a paleontologist that was present, as she managed to make it through the ordeal without a scratch. The paleontologist admits that the paper she wrote some years back wasn't entirely her work. Three weeks before the submission deadline, she had a dream in which a Dinochirus and a Gallimimus and a couple of other dinosaurs showed up in her room. They weren't ghostly at all, but were fully fleshed out, with the most vibrant colored scales she'd ever seen, and not a single feather on them. Nothing about these dinosaurs fit the standard model, 
so she went back through their database and cross-referenced the records, ignoring all fossils associated with SCP-4041. What she ended up with didn't look like the standard model at all, but rather like the dinosaurs in her dream. She finds it a little suspicious how perfect the 4041 fossils are, as they are too well preserved. It's like a murder scene with the fingerprinted gun left behind with a confession note. She decided to test it, publishing articles critical of the standard model, and every time she exposed a flaw, someone found an answer in the next set of 4041 fossils. The agent asks why anyone would want to create an entirely false fossil record, and the paleontologist says that, despite how crazy it sounds, she thinks it's the birds. She died two days later in a car accident with a head-on collision with a semi-truck. Investigation of the scene found a velociraptor skull in the car's trunk. What we have here, then, is flocks of anomalous birds that seem to be capable of creating new dinosaur fossils that support the theory that a number of dinosaurs went on to evolve into birds. Not only do they actively do this as much as necessary to continue this theory's legitimacy, they also seem to target anyone that opposes the theory vocally. On the other side, then, we have some sort of ghostly dinosaurs that are trying to ward off the birds and maintain scientific accuracy about their lack of feathers. As for why exactly the birds are doing all this, well, that's just SCP for you. Finally, let's end with one last SCP about fossils, although this one is a little unique in that it's not just about dinosaur fossils. SCP-4003 is the group designation for the archaeological remains of the town of Temperance, Montana, and its citizens, all of which date to the Upper Cretaceous Era. The town's few buildings included a saloon, sheriff's office, trading post, general store, and domestic buildings along its main street. It primarily served as a rest stop for caravans heading to Helena from the Minnesota Territory and had a small permanent population, estimated to have been 40 civilians and 10 horses and other livestock. Though little information on the town is available, it is mentioned in the journals of Gold Rush settlers between 1859 and 1866. It's believed that the town disappeared entirely in November of 1866. Following its disappearance, Temperance and its population manifested in the late Cretaceous era, about 66 million years ago. It's believed that most, if not all of the inhabitants and livestock perished from oxygen poisoning due to the increased levels of the chemical compound present in the Earth's atmosphere at the time. Any survivors were then likely to have perished from exposure, disease, famine, and the predatory megafauna. The town reappeared in its exact geographical location in the Upper Cretaceous period, with evidence indicating that the climate of the area was subtropical due to its proximity to the Western Interior Seaway, a sharp contrast to the aridity of modern Montana. 
The foundation has uncovered a good number of both fossils and other objects, such as three Triceratops, 12 Achiroraptors, five Thoracosaurus, 14 Dedephaldons, and four Struthiomimus. They also found the fossils of a single dog, missing most of its extremities, six horses, three chickens, two T-Rex, one of which was missing its head, and 26 humans. Objects include glass shards, some of which display unnatural colors, a silver crucifix found in exceedingly good condition, some horseshoes, a revolver and rifle, and a metal safe. The town was first discovered in 1871 by gold miners from the nearby Everwood Mine, with Foundation field operatives dispatched the dig site to evaluate the reports of human remains being found deep underground in newly created tunnels. Though originally believed to be Neanderthal remains, the anatomy of the skulls were identical to that of a Homo sapiens. All of the involved civilians were treated with rudimentary amnestics, and the Foundation purchased the Everwood Mine. A site was established nearby, and excavation continued. The metal safe that they found contained several items that are anomalously well-preserved, showing no signs of aging. These include musket balls, revolver rounds, a rosary, daguerreotypes, and a journal. The journal is labeled as belonging to a sheriff's deputy in temperance by the name of Pendleton Tweed, and of course I'll be reading out the excerpts verbatim. 15th of November, Anno Domini, 1866. Sheriff Boone and I still can't make sense of what happened. Everyone remembers a white light, and then nothing. Me and the sheriff, too. We all got up with our heads pounding and feeling like we drank the town dry. Old Pete, Mary, and Annette's kids was all dead, as well as most of the chickens and one of the horses. The out-of-towners were all right, said they saw the same thing too. But what's strangest is the boonies. It ain't how it used to be. It's all green now and with trees too. I ain't never seen nothing like it before. It's like I was in paradise when I see it. Sheriff Boone says it ain't right, though. Says something's very wrong. Sheriff Boone's fixing to hold a town meeting with the outsiders and all the folks at first hour tomorrow. We's burying the dead tonight. 16th of November. Anno Domini, 1866. Everyone's real uneasy about the situation. Folks are grieving, and the out-of-towners are itching to take off. Sheriff Boone says no one can leave lest they's part of the scouting posses getting together. Says we need to know what's around us. Something took the chickens, too. Left some strange tracks. Sure as hell ain't no coyote. Damn thing left tracks looking like real big chicken tracks. Must have come at night, because ain't no one seen it. One of the dogs brought in a varmint too big to be a rat. Looked ugly and had a long face. 
Ain't ever seen nothing like it, but he ain't seemed to mind. That old boy ate it anyway. Father Jacob says we need to be strong, and God will guide us. I pray we figure out what's happening soon, and for the posse's safe return. 19th of November, Anno Domini 1866. A bunch of the out-of-towners stabbed up Merle in the middle of the night and stole everything they could from his shop before taking off with some horses. They were in a real damn hurry, I reckon, because they left behind their caravan. From the looks of things, they was prospectors heading to California. A lot of digging tools and some dynamite. We was burying Merle later, but we is low on supplies now. Father Jacob and I are working on rationing what we got, but won't last too long. Father Jacob keeps saying he's hearing things at night, but he don't know what. He's asked for me to stay out by the church and keep an eye out tonight. I reckon since we's bearing Merle, I might as well stay a spell. I pray Merle goes to heaven. He ain't deserve what come to him. It's all my fault for not being able to protect him. 20th of November, Anno Domini 1866. I swear on God, Father Jacob and I saw a demon last night. It was big, like a person, and it walked on two feet, but had a neck like a snake and eyes like one too. It was making these sounds from hell, and it was digging at Merle's grave. We wasn't able to bury him too deep because of the mud, and I saw that monster eating at old Merle's body. I fired at it, but it was too dark for me to hit the dang thing. Father Jacob says we's in hell, being punished by God for not believing. He went and told everyone, now they's in a panic. But he says so long as we keep praying, God will spare us from his wrath. I ain't thunk I was a sinner. No man's perfect, but I reckon I try being as close to God as one can. I reckon I got a lot to think about. But now the whole town's gone to the dogs. Everyone's panicking over what Father Jacob says. I put my foot down and told him to quit it. Told him to pack it up and take it to the church if he wanted to proselytize. Can't have him scaring everyone like that even if we're surrounded by devils. Tonight I will pray for forgiveness and for protection. 21st of November, Anno Domini 1866. Sheriff Boone, Red, and Jeremiah came back. They was missing a horse. Sheriff Boone's has a giant devil with a head as big as a man snuck up on them when they were sleeping and picked up a horse in its mouth, then tossed it like it was a toy. They hid and watched it eat up until the devil went away. "'Twas big as a building and longer than two, they says. The others said they seen more, smaller, bigger, and of all colors. Food is scarce. And these rat varmints ain't big enough to feed one person, let alone thirty. Safety and food will be in my prayers tonight. 23rd of November, Anno Domini 1866. 
Eric and Father Jacob was right, saying we's in hell after seeing what happened yesterday. We was attacked by dozens of little demons, all of them with long necks, teeth like knives, and claws like vultures. They came from nowhere and killed a bunch of folk before we was able to draw them off. Sheriff Boone and Father Jacob got into it real nasty after. Sheriff Boone wanted to try and eat from the remains of these things. Father Jacob accused him of being a blasphemer, trying to tempt us to sin by eating the flesh of a demon. Says God is watching us. He sees him at night. But that ain't stopping Sheriff Boone. I reckon I am a sinner after all. I will pray to God for forgiveness tonight. I know not what I've done, but I beg you, my Lord, to wash away my sin. 25th of November, Anno Domini, 1866. The night those demons attacked us, Father Jacob led the townsfolk to destroy all the alcohol in the town. They smashed it all up in the church, then locked themselves in there till just today. They says they was praying for our town. Says me and Sheriff Boone is sinners, and the reason we's been cursed to be in hell. I still don't know what I'd done to make everyone deserve this. Sheriff Boone says I ain't at fault, but the townsfolk won't even look me in the eye no more. I got half a mind to go over and put lead between Father Jacob's eyes from making a bad situation worse, but then I'd be the same as he. Tonight I will pray for forgiveness again, as well as for this rain to stop. The damn frogs won't let me sleep. Lots of folks are dead. Sheriff Boone is dead. The rain won't stop. I ain't sleeping what feels like forever. The giant monster like I never seen before came in, making the whole town shake with its footsteps. It was bigger than any building I'd seen before, and it walked right up to the pile of demons and started eating them. Father Jacob and a few others came scrambling out of the church trying to exercise it, but it ate him. It was the scariest thing. One second he was there shouting about Christ, and then all we was hearing was the rain. Then it roared the worst sound I ever heard. Something fitting. The demon it was. The townsfolk tried shooting at it, but the damn thing didn't even care. Just made it angrier. All I could do was sit there and watch while Sheriff Boone ran out and grabbed some dynamite. Monster was fixing to kill the townsfolk, but Sheriff Boone caught its attention. Blew the damn thing's head clean off. And himself, too. The rain got worse before we could even try and move the demon away. I made everyone go home after that. Ain't no sense in being outside near all them bodies if it's gonna make more of them come. I don't reckon I know what to pray for no more. I saw God last night. I saw his light in the sky. Shining so bright next to the moon. It was beautiful. I begged him for forgiveness. 
I begged him to learn what I did wrong. But God ain't answering me. I've been begging God for the rain to stop, for forgiveness and clarity. I see him in the sky in the day now, too. He's so bright behind these clouds, I can feel his touch. But God ain't happy with me. I know my punishment is coming, and God Almighty himself is delivering it. One last time, I will pray for forgiveness tonight. So, yeah, pretty much what you'd expect if a small town in the 1860s got transported to the Cretaceous period. The why or how of their trip is unknown, so we're left just as much in the dark as they were. Perhaps they all had really done something to piss off God, and they were punished for it. Or perhaps they were just unlucky. It's interesting that most of these SCPs concerned fossils, despite the breadth and scope of the SCP universe easily allowing for much more than that. Dinosaurs as a concept so often feel like fiction, being tremendous, almost alien creatures that we only really see as natural villains in films or shows. They don't really need many modifications themselves to fit into an SCP article, so it's more about differing circumstances or scenarios that make them anomalous, compared to how wild some of the dog or cat SCPs get. At the end of the day, dinosaurs will continue to fascinate mankind for who knows how long, even if they only ever really come alive in fiction. 